There's our opening familiar lyrics from an Englishman, Alvin Lee, a band 10 years after, 40 years or 50 years ago, and uh, we got one of our English friends on the line with us today. Uh, Of course, those lyrics, very prophetic, very far ahead of their time, were uh, quite quite telling on the things that surround us today. That's the kind of things we like to discuss. So uh, welcome to the Radio Ranch. Roger Sales, your host, the People's Patriot Network, our fledgling little platform. Paul is with us today. Robert is already hooked up, and Chris is in there too. So we start with almost a full compliment, guys. Good morning. Good morning. It's like going out to Uh, breakfast together, isn't it? Yes, kind of. Greetings. Well, you know, Paul, you're, uh, that's the way I've kind of over the years formatted the show, okay? Instead of like, this dun da dun da dun da we're going to have this and this and this guy and we're going to cover. It's like, look, we're a small group. We have incredible insight into things that are incredibly important, and we have a platform now where we can discuss this. And as new people come to our group and uh, wake up, we can help grab their hand, walk them down the garden path of intentional confusion, and hopefully come out on the other side. Uh, Now, Chris is an old hand. Paul's been around a while. Myself, now Robert, however, who's with us this morning from Reno, I guess now, you're relatively new to this. When did you wake up? up Robert to the 14th amendment probably a couple years ago when I first heard you oh by the way do I sound better now yes you do okay I've got my earbuds in probably when I heard you for the first time on Joyce Riley when you were uh, sitting for her when she was battling cancer Uh a couple three years ago uh uh-huh that show that I got the whole three hours that day and did the timeline presentation yeah exactly Uh uh-huh good well, uh, you know, a lot of our what core the hell listeners. What is this guy talking about? Yeah, well, listen, everybody that that gets uh, addressed with this pretty well comes away with that same impression. You're not the first, and buddy, you won't be the last. What they have woven probably here, not a tapestry of incredible, sophisticated fraud and deception. I mean, the deeper yes. you get into this, the more you marvel at it, and. I, you know, I say this, you don't have to like somebody to respect them. I can hate the son bitches, which I do, okay? But yet I can respect them <laughs> for what I see that they've accomplished here and how they've done it. It's absolutely an incredible feat. Sheer genius. It, it absolutely is. I mean, you know, credit where credit is due is the old cliche. So anyway, yeah. we talk about those yeah. folks. Paul's pretty well versed in dealing with these guys, but it always interests me on when people uh, got exposed to this and their reaction. I mean, uh, I've told you all before, Ben, one of our good listeners out in Texas, uh, and he listened to me, start, found me somehow over on ex-wife number two. And he said, man, I listen to you every day for six months, and I thought you were the craziest SOB that ever come down the road. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then as with everybody that gets exposed to this, at some point in the process, and it is a process, at some point in the process, it's like somebody comes up and bangs you with a sledgehammer on the side of the head and you go, holy smoke. And see, the, the problem at that point is that you're just embarking on something. It's like eating liver, you know? Every bite, every time you chew it, it gets bigger, okay? So uh, welcome all of you that have uh, somehow found us or we found you or whatever, and we have a day on Wednesdays with our friend Paul, and uh, just kind of to discuss, here he is, point of view from across the pond over there, and uh, just check in internationally here on a weekly basis. Paul, what's going on with Brexit, man? Um, Tumbleweed. I think it's tumbleweed moment here. The uh, there's a sort of I think we've hit a peak ennui, peak apathy around the whole thing. So uh, the, the communication is. Could I'm that sorry. have been? That's I'm sorry to override you. Could that have been their motive here? Because it's been two years since you voted on it, and and it's just like it's like a tug of war over a rope over an old mud puddle. You know, with one side pulling and the other side pulls back. And is do you think that was designed to put apathy into the picture here? You are so cynical, Roger, today. Yes, that's me. <laughs> I think so. I, I think so. I don't think it takes too much blinding insight on this side to think that that's the case. I, I was actually thinking the other day, I thought, I wonder if they have a chart, you know, the wearing down chart, the chart of psychological <laughs> attrition. They go, oh, yeah, this is going to take about 20 months if we keep doing it, if you speed this up. And then they'll be just completely pliant. I'm I'm convinced that these things exist because I just think that there's a huge, there's a huge chunk of sort of hidden cogs, levers, and gears that they tend to pull. You know, well, listen, to anybody, bring about the the state of foolishness. Anybody yeah. that doesn't think that they're really heavy, barren, uh, sophisticated psychological techniques is just doesn't have an idea what's going on. Um, so yeah, I look at the headlines and I know it's important. It doesn't directly concern us, but I know that it concerns you and those folks over there, and that's a very pivotal part of this whole thing. And boy, I'll tell you, it looks like they couldn't have kicked the can down the road to a worse time for the EU. Well, maybe not. I don't know. I'm I'm continually, every now and again, because it's not far away from my mind, I'm reminded of those little sections in... Uh, the protocols of the learned elders of of Zion, which I know some people say is a fake and this, that, and the other, but I'm kind of in the Henry Ford camp in that, you know, everything that's in it, well, I don't know what it is, but everything that's in it seems to have been rolling out pretty true. And there's a bit in it, isn't there, where they talk about um, bringing public figures into, these are all my words, by the way, I mean, it's so long since I read it, I can't even paraphrase it properly, but the gist of it was that they would, they would bring public figures into such a state of ridicule and disrepute that the people would basically kind of disown them. They would be shamed and shown to be the obnoxious bumpkins that they really have been appointed to be. You know, they're, they're playing a role in all of this. And then, and then these guys turn up from around the back of the curtain and hooray, everything is saved. It's, um, uh, it's the ongoing communication. I mean, the communication process around it is rewarding in a small way and a waste of time in the vast bulk of it the the reason why it's a waste of time is that most people are still psychologically going around in circles about what's going on there's still this attempt to let's communicate with this person if you write to that 
uh, MP, this will happen. Yeah. None of those things are going of to happen. Of course not. They're, then, they're not going to happen. And then there are others that are, it's not so much that they're resigned. I, I use the word apathy. It's not quite that, although there's obviously quite a bit of that. But I think it's that people are actually getting quite clear now, which is a good thing in my view, that democracy doesn't exist, which is good because I don't like it anyway. But that people are actually beginning to understand that it doesn't exist, that there's no point having it. And if they do go to this um, second vote, if they manage to put it, put it through, I can't see it happening. That's the end of democracy. They will know this on their sort of psychological barometer. They'll know. Subconsciously. That if they take the decision, to, yeah, it's finished. I mean, because then that means that any decision ever taken from this point forward would always be open to review. Exactly. Therefore, it wouldn't be a decision. It's, Therefore, it's, what would be the point of doing it? It's very self-defeating yeah. for them in one respect. Actually, they're backed into a corner. They're damned if they do and damned if they don't, aren't they? Well, maybe, but I mean, really, from that's to do with the side that they're batting for. This is getting clearer as well. They're not batting for the people. They're not on our team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that needs to be understood. And then people get cross about it. I said, Wait, why are you getting cross? Why are you getting angry? This is self-evident that's the case. Save your energy. Don't express it in anger against them. We have to look at what we do for ourselves. Yeah, and so we have to find ways, platforms to communicate that disengage us mentally and spiritually from this nonsense, this drama of a communication that has got nothing to do with what any of us want, or the bulk of us, we don't, we don't want to. You it's know? Uh, basically the, the original vote has made them take part of the mask off. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to know quite why they did it, actually. I, I don't even know what the causative reasons are for why they even asked for it, unless, unless you know, they're playing sort of deep level 10th dimension interdimensional chess or something with our heads which is possible it because is. they've got the brain power on that side to work it all out you know if they do this then they'll do that then they'll react like this then we get them to respond like that then we feed them a carrot here then three months later we kick them up the ass there it's that kind of stuff you know so i don't want to spend too much time on it because it's their world well, it's their wacky world of manipulation well we got to uh, understand it because we're we're influenced by it and we have to navigate out of it and the only way you can navigate out of it is to understand how it works um, I wanted to go back to a point you were talking Maybe. about, the, the protocols. <laughs> well, that's what I've found with my, with my mm -hmm. body of work here, um, with the protocols. And, of course, what happened, uh, the protocols were, first came to the surface. You know the background of this a little bit, don't you, Paul? Back around the Bolshevik Revolution that I remember. And they were written in Yiddish. And uh, someone got him to England, and a guy named Victor Marsden, I remember his name, from the one of the, of the big, Times. One of the, it was the Times newspaper. Yeah, uh, well, it was, it was the, the one, he worked for one of the big uh, uh, museums there, natural history or something. And uh, but mm -hmm. he knew Yiddish, and he got that Yiddish manuscript, and f this was in the foreword part of the book that I read on it you know with that contained him and he went his office was in the basement and he could only work on them 30 minutes a day without literally becoming physically ill and wanting to go puke and so that's how they got translated now in bolshevik russia if you were found to have a copy of that document on you you were executed on the spot no questions asked that sounds like a hell of a forgery to me. Um, now, let's go back to this importance of words, okay? Uh, 
the word that they use, evidently they got one of their crooked judges at some court in Bavaria to rule that it was a forgery, and that's how they got that cover, okay? But let's go back and look and parse these words. It's like God's chosen people, all this stuff they throw at us. They say it's a forgery, right? Doesn't a forgery by its own definition have an original? Oh, it does. It does. Okay. I mean, it's not so. It's not a document. I mean, there are, I've I've heard people sort of really go into a detailed way to dismiss it as being a uh, a fake. But as I said, it doesn't really matter. You it see, the thing is, it's like we say, you say, well, that book of fiction is a fake. No, it isn't. Yep. It's not. The imagination is real. It's as real as anything else out there, and it determines a great deal of people's decisions, thoughts, and feelings about things. Films are colossally influential. Books, probably even more so. I was talking to someone the other day, and they were saying there's never been a film made that's as good as the book. And I think that that's the case. And the reason is the case is that, obviously, when you are reading a book, given that you commit to it, which is a time investment, you end up becoming absorbed in a world of which you are a great co-creator of in your own head. And therefore, it's a reflection of where you were at at that time in your life and your ability to imagine scenes and scenarios and settings. And so it has more permanence, it seems to me, inside you. Um, and, of course, people have been reading for a long time. So, you know, it's not as if just because we've got this modern technology it makes us better equipped. In many ways, we've been more easy to distract. Um, we've got on top of that as well. But we have and still remain relatively easy to distract away from what it is that we're supposed to be focusing on. Don't because uh, sensationalism can get in the way. You did, know? You, did you ever hear the Steven Spielberg quote on the interview that was, this is in the 70s, I think, in the Dallas Morning News, was the, I believe, whatever the main Dallas paper was or is. And he said, that would be it. celluloid is the world's most powerful weapon. Mm. Well, he might be right. I suppose, you know, they've invested a great deal in it. They've invested a great, great deal in it. And um, obviously, if you look at the history of uh, film in the States with Edison, it gets dragged off to yep. Hollywood. Yep. And Holly Hollywood, I mean, it makes sense that the technology of the time would result in Hollywood being the center of films purely because of the sunlight. It's little things like this that make all the difference. So given the nature of camera technology and the exposure rates of film, it makes complete sense that from a cost point of view, you could film obviously in California, I guess, 365 days a year. So that makes that makes a lot of sense. That, so it's understandable. It probably would have ended up there whoever took it. But uh, Edison kind of lost control of the whole thing, didn't he? Yes. And I think... Um, the same way you know, the, that... Tesla lost control of radio and they got Marconi given the credit and then after they got it all on Marconi's under his company and they got the patents registered they transferred everything to RCA mm -hmm. you see I think of course all of these technologies are being invented and augmented and created and we know who invents most of the technologies yep but you know the, the way that we we have or an aspect of the way that we are hamstrung um, is to do with the fact that we think, and I've thought this most of my life, you know, prior to getting to grips with actuality as opposed to my own daydream about life, we tend to think that everybody would want to pitch in and make things better. And so the big shock and the big part and the nasty part of the story that we're selling here and that many people in the alternative information world are selling is that's not true. That's not true. We're not all in this together. We're actually not all working together to the same common goal. There are forces at play that are going to 
make use of and abuse you and abuse your energy to gain a hold over you because that's what they're into. And, of course, that's very difficult for normal people to take on board. It is in one conversation. It is. So it's probably not too wise to try in one conversation, but you have to begin to sow seeds in some way. Um, fortunately, we're in an era where more seeds have been sown more rapidly than at any other point in human history, as far as I'm aware, because yeah. of the technology giving us a stronger hand than we've ever had before. But we still need to use it well. It's a, it's a wonderful Could situation. Yes, you can, Chris. It's a wonderful situation in, in a sense that we find ourselves in because we are at least aware and we're exploring this stuff. And I think we found some of us found a way out of it. So, you know, that's what the purpose of this is. Yes, Chris, how you doing this morning, man? Well, pretty well. This is a new headset I have on this morning. So Sounds I'm curious about the quality. The quality is real good. It's almost too full, isn't it, Paul? It is. It's too. It's too good. It's too full. Yeah, it's far too but, full. But that's okay. okay. It's, it's better. <laughs> it's, it's better than the alternative. So continue, Chris. <laughs> well, what I was going to observe for Paul and benefits is I remember it's probably been four or five years ago, maybe even six. When I heard, I think it was called the International Financial Association or something of that nature. I know it was International Financial. And it was a bunch of the stodgy old bankers' bankers, if you will, the ones that operate the... BIS. Trust and BIS, yes. And the oldest one that was the spokesman for the panel, he related that they must maintain the course, keep their shoulder to the wheel, steady as you go, maintain the status quo, I remember was the phraseology. And he counseled that this populist kerfuffle or uprising would blow over and everything would go back as it was. At least that was his skewed view of reality. And I'm not sure it's held water, although this is the premise they've been operating from for multi-thousands of years on this planet. The Corban kings, the kings of Corban, take it because they can, the same ones that steal over those houses that uh, oppress and suppress the people are the bound king gang. And this is a dangerous group that's fighting against the yellow vest or the uh, whatever else you call them, the uh, yellow jackets in Europe, against the new world order, the EU, the central Sovietized, trying to collectivize the whole planet under their one world system. Let's Thank not you very much. let's not get them confused with the Georgia Tech bunch over there, Chris. <laughs> They're the yellow jacket, the yellow vests. And uh, I did see a really interesting video last night, about seven or eight minutes, by an attorney in France, a uh, forty-five-year-old female, uh, had been practicing law since she was twenty-two, and she started holding up pictures and the stuff that the press is suppressing on how the French police are combating and have taken this at the dictate of their puppeteers, have taken this shut that demonstration crap down and some of the weapons they're using and how many people are losing eyes. And she was holding these people up and reading out their names, man. And it is dramatic. And this yellow vest thing is a big problem for them. Well, it is. And you can tell that it's um, it's a key problem in the sense of the intensity with which they're seeking to suppress it. 
So um, they're going about dealing with it in a way un-Western Christian-like, for obvious reasons. Well, they're having... <laughs> and you've got things like... That they're, they're ha- I'm sorry to interrupt. They're having to resort to their usual tactics. You know, uh, I, I heard a story of a guy that was up in around the New York area, and they had a bookstore. This was 30, 30 years ago, so back in the 70s or the 80s. And they had a little bookstore with all this type of information in it, right? One day, these two goons walk in with baseball bats and smash the store and beat the crap out of them. You know, this is their way. It's the only way they know. As Janda has said lately, and I think it's very accurate, all they know how to do is play offense. They don't know how to play defense. They've never had to. No, maybe not. Things are not going to go quite the way that they've ever gone for them before, though. I mean, it's still, you know, I'm not trying to get overly cocky one way or the other because uh, it's complicated, but they tend to revert to type. Uh, right now in, in France, you've got all these sorts of calls for things taking place from the Jewish community there. that uh, They need to outlaw anti-Zionism because oh, yes. it's a dog whistle for anti, anti-Jewism or whatever you want to call it. So... Um, they can't outlaw these things. They've I mean, you can. They can say that they've done it, but the fact is that in the actual, this is what, this is why. See, this is just my approach. I'm not saying that this is necessarily right, but I was talking to someone just the other day about, and I mentioned it here before. You know, the whole nature of the mountain of information that these guys have concocted, the the subtle structures, all of these so-called power centers. You can choose, if you want to, to spend your life unpicking them. And I'm not saying that that's valueless. There are some people who are going to do that. But that's not for me. I, I don't, I'm not interested in unpicking a mess, not of my making, not of my choosing, and that's being imposed on me. It's not my job to sort out the fact that there are crooks organizing stuff. What my job is, the way I view it myself, my job is to bind with my own people and we redetermine exactly how it is we're supposed to live. Yep. And we dismiss the others. And we need, and it needs to be that simple. I need to be able to communicate it very quickly because we don't have enough lifetimes left to unpick the hundreds and thousands of years of guff that they've created. We just dismiss it. It's the Gordian knot thing. We're not going to unpick it. I'm taking a sword to it. But it's a big sword. And we need a few hands on the tiller, as it were, to wield yeah. it. But we've got to get really – it's over there. What you do is you pick this up, yeah, and you just give it the most enormous blow, and it's over. It's done. We, And I'm using poor metaphors, but you get the idea. We've got to – I feel that we have to think in that way because I, I get involved with, in conversations with people, and you've probably been involved in these similar conversations where the uh, – it gets so wide-ranging. There's so much – historical analysis taking place in these multiple hour conversations i bet we've all had them and and i realized very early on that there's going to be no satisfactory conclusion to that conversation none it's as if you can always come up with a a more ancient causative reason for why things are oh it wasn't because of the normans it was because of these guys it wasn't because of those guys 500 years before that it was these guys but you know, we're the ones that are alive now, and and a question I tend to ask myself is, do I know enough to begin to get clear about what needs to be done? The the problem that we have, of course, is that we need people that we can communicate to that are on that wavelength and that understand it, and to try and make it attractive. And the way to make it more attractive is to say, uh, this is not as complicated as you think, because we've decomplicated it. But it is pretty savage, I'm afraid, because there's no avoiding it. It is what it is. 
And, uh, you know, I understand well, why we want to George. I'm the same. I want to do it too. I wish there were a way through. It's just that as each day goes by, there's less and less evidence to, to suggest that that's, that's going to be an effective path, really, unfortunately. Well, you know, Paul, I, after many years in the trenches here for me, and it's been an up and down journey, okay, emotionally. Uh, I've just had to face the reality that the biblical basis of this is is so correct, and it says come out of her, you know. And, and it's, there's only going to be a small remnant left of people that are going to take heed the call and do that. And the rest of them, even though we we would like to join arms with them, they're not of that mindset for whatever reason. And so the yeah. real thing that's hit me here over the last year, year and a half, especially since we've been doing this, is that, you no, know, the only person you can change in this world is you. And uh, you can think about and help and try to change others, but you can't do it necessarily, but you can change yourself. And so back to the strong individual and a group of strong individuals is the only way I know to do it. Uh, because it's not going to flash through the population like a like a prairie fire, uh, uh, and, and it, I draw the analogy in our country with our people de- descended from you uh, that only three percent of them wanted to fight the king. Yes, only 3%. three percent. I know three to five, somewhere in that range, five at the absolute most. It would have been best if you hadn't done that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, It would have all turned out much, much better. But you see, the fix was in even here. The fix was in here long before even that rolled through, you 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 see. It's always about dealing with this embedded force that's perverting everything. And this is, you know, even going back to these conversations that, that span a great deal of history, you're involved in a mountain of mental, the expenditure of mental energy and sifting because you realize after some, the sooner the better, of course, that much of the history you're being given is history written by the victors. Yes. And, and, and everybody's aware of that, but you'll often find, I do even to this day, that I've swallowed something down and I haven't had, I haven't had the bullshit detector on at full whack and I needed it because I'll suddenly go, oh, hang on. No, 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 that's not right. And so you have to – there's a lot to do with that. And, of course, the other thing from a male point of view, I would say as well, Roger, which is – I don't know. It's both a weakness and a strength. But this um, proclivity that we have, understandably, to be analytical, to be pragmatic about things and to analyze things is, of course, needed. You can't put bridges up or build locomotives or do it. You can't do it without that sort of type of – understanding but it can actually work against us when we become mired in what is effectively an infinite line of information and uh you can almost like get bogged down in the whole thing and not see the wood for the trees it's so it's always a fine line and i think we're always as individuals and as groups having to readjust i mean what what you said about strong groups is is obviously true historically it's just that when we also look at it we see that these things they go through a sort of you know an infancy a childhood a teenage years a mature years old age and they die a cycle and uh, that's always that's always unsatisfying yes i think we don't like that too much i'd like to stop that and i'd like to differentiate between just groups which can have tremendous uh group psychology imposed upon them and they react to it pretty well and predictably versus a group of strong individuals 
where that's not the case because everybody's very discerning. Let me also just make an observation on something you said a minute ago. You said we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> you know what? I would imagine yeah. we would have been in their new world order far sooner if we wouldn't have because they would have had the colony under their total control from the start. That would have been better. We could, you see, a previous generation would have sorted it out for us by now, and we could have had a much happier time. <laughs> sure, sure. You're not thinking straight, Roger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, probably not. It would have matured in a different way, but I think, um, yeah, look, I mean, the the other the other area we can take solace from, I think, is that you know the Genghis Khan scenario is that after he'd shot off everywhere, building up this huge empire with pony expresses and everything, back at base they all started fighting like rats over the power, and it all got destroyed from within that aspect still exists it definitely exists and uh, it will take place i'm sure of it in many many ways i've always thought look at our group if we had if there was say a hundred thousand dollars on a table and you had me and chris and here comes daryl calling in okay daryl i'll get you right back buddy uh and you had us sitting around and uh there was this hundred grand uh sitting there um some people would be prone to grab it and screw the other guys, okay? So even at our level, that certainly takes place. You can imagine when the whole world's at stake. I know, bad news. You're reminding me. I've got a friend, you know, I have a colleague. Colleague's the right word, I think, who's just had that scenario play out, that he's been working on a project for three years that he wants me to be involved with, and I won't go into the details of it because there's no way I'll get involved with it. But uh, just before Christmas, he called me up. He said, "He said I'm having a terrible time with these other guys." I said, "Why is that?" He said, "Because he said we're very close to having money going on the table, and they're all going crazy." I said, yep. "Now come on, you've been here before. You know exactly what happens. Everybody's great talking about ideas, and then when it gets real, and someone goes, right, there's fifty million quid or whatever it is, people go nuts. They People's do. worst behavior comes out. They uh, do. They go. It's not even the fact that they need that money. They just don't want you to have it. It just goes berserk. <laughs> and go, oh." No, it's, that's all it's about. You know, it's not that they want it. It's that you can't have it. It's, that's what. That's the main driver. That's right. You're not getting one over on me. And you're going, well, can't we just all sort of divvy up and get on? But no, some no. personalities are not like that. So you can imagine at that level what goes on at the upper levels. Let me welcome Daryl to the conversation. Hey, Daryl. Hey, Roger. <clears throat> Roger. Uh Paul, everybody. Uh, Good morning, Roger. Hey, uh, you are you are dragging up some uh, very interesting topics to me today. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I couldn't really resist. Uh, so uh, I'll I'll start this off. I'll start this off with a sort of obtuse <laughs> question. Uh, a sort of obtuse question. Um, are, are any of you uh, fellows familiar with how a tapeworm interacts with its host and, and its body? Are you familiar bit. with that? A little bit. Not personally. Well, uh, yeah. Well, for for those that aren't aware of it, uh, here's a uh, here's a metaphor for you. So, by uh, <clears throat> whatever means the tapeworm is ingested into your your body and over a period of time it grows and uh, most people are unaware of being infected with tapeworm um, they, they tend to typically be sort of on the skinny side over time 
but here's the trick that the tapeworm is biologically, biologically, uh, its nature has developed a means by which uh, as you feed yourself, it takes those nutrients and uh, it grows. And as it grows, it secretes, biologically secretes a chemical, a drug, back into your body that it craves and causes you to crave. And then it forms this negative feedback loop where you're constantly craving what is good for the tapeworm and uh, negative effects for you. <clears throat> okay, so that's uh, that's my analogy, and and it's on a biological level. It's not a it's not a digital. It's it's biological, and uh, so uh, what's happened to us over um, the truth seeking, transparent people over time? Uh, the parasite has secreted <clears throat> things that will allow it to grow, and you're constantly hungry for what is good for it instead of good for you. And um, <clears throat> so this is, you know, a, uh, a fairly straightforward analogy, I believe, of the, the larger condition. The, the problem is with, with most people that are infected with a parasite like a tapeworm is first uh, recognizing that they are. And uh, so that's that's sort of the conundrum I think that uh, that you've been talking about a lot here is is the uh, critical mass of uh, people understanding that they're infected uh, with yes. the tapeworm. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's um, a key thing. I also I've also become aware more and more aware by uh, applying some some principles that I learned a long time ago uh, in aviation that in order to properly evaluate any situation uh, of any magnitude, I had to stand farther and farther away from it. Yes. And the bigger the problem, the bigger the problem, or the more critical the problem, the farther I had to become detached from the outcome. And, and people's frustration and reactive uh, mechanisms inside their own biology, uh, uh, they, you, have to be, you have to mature and, and gain the wisdom of experience uh, over time to learn how to stand back from things that you're passionate about. And <clears throat> the reason I say this is, is because, uh, well, one, it works. Um, and and two, you're dealing with an enemy, an adversary, that is amoral. They don't see themselves being right or wrong. They just want to win. Uh, they're a tapeworm. A tapeworm is amoral. Huh. And 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 so an, another part of this sort of. Um, biological, psychological problem that manifests itself is we're 
all present, uh, were a, a lot of people, even those that are asleep, are at some level aware of a shadow, a silhouette of an enemy or an adversary, and they never see its face. They, they, they're aware of the shadow and the silhouette, but they never see the face. And they stay in silhouette so that they can uh, mask themselves. Uh, just like a tapeworm does with making you hungry. Let me give and a, let me so, buttress one yeah. of your points, Daryl. Years ago, even before I got into this stuff, I used to watch a lot of PBS stuff. And they had a, inter, a program on PBS one night about Armin Hammer. You remember him, Paul? Do you know who he was, Armin Hammer? Yes, I, I know of him. The weapons guy with a funny name. Yes. Specially chosen for publicity purposes. I always yeah, think about him as the baking soda guy uh, because he owned yeah, Arm & Hammer baking soda. Uh, but after his death, he was uh, uh, he had a big art collection that circulated all over the world. I saw it. I went to it in Atlanta. I was in Atlanta one time. And they were interviewing uh, in a program about oil. And this was a segment because he evidently had the lock on the Libyan sweet crude, okay? Libya's got the sweetest crude oil in the world. And so they were interviewing the chief financial officer of Arm & Hammer, his main company, and the guy said, very, very uh, straightforward, not, a, not one of the enemy, one of our kind of guys, and he's talking about Arm & Hammer, and he said, Arm & Hammer was not immoral, he was amoral. And that stuck with me even from 35 or more years ago, okay? And, and, and Daryl just brought that point out, and the big, there's a big difference there, okay? Some people know when they're doing wrong. These people have no wrong. Everything is skewed for them. Well, uh, that's... The, the reason that stuck with you, Roger, is because it's true. Yep. And uh, uh, so we uh, we sort of have to. That that's a part of standing back, uh, keeping a distance. You know, the here's the counterintuitive part. So many things in life are counterintuitive, and um, so. The, the the more you invest yourself into the outcome of the thing, the more it slips away from you. True. People that people that chase love are lonely. Mm -hmm. People mm -hmm. that want money are broke. Uh, people that would want justice are oppressed. Um, and and the reason is because. Um, they're they're operating on uh, a lot of times uh, and understandably uh, emotion. And uh, the one thing that you, you notice if you watch uh, our adversaries, uh, whatever title or they hold, uh, politician, uh, whatever sect, whatever uh, company, spokesperson, NGO, you always notice that they're very cool. They're amoral. They, the only time they get excited is when it's an act. And, and so this is this other counterintuitive part of this, 
is that we have to is, is we're dealing with a, a biology <laughs> uh, that's uh, and and we have to stay calm we have to stay very calm and and be very deliberate and uh, uh, personally uh, if I might uh, what I've done for the last over the course it's taken me 20 years but uh, piece by piece I have gained autonomy uh, to a degree and also along with that anonymity and so uh, whatever I do I do uh, pretty much on an autonomous level and as an individual cell and um, and I don't try to sell anybody anything. Nope, nope. But I I try to ask them. I try to I engage them in calm, compassionate conversation. And I admit to using leading questions. Uh, and uh, I do that so that I can take them down paths that they'd never even in their wildest dreams ever considered. And uh, I, I find it to be more and more effective all the time. How, uh, uh, how is it up there in, in, uh, uh, up in the Gadsden area in the people that you regularly have interacted with for some years now, like the guys down at the gun shop? Are, are any of those people now turning and coming and inquiring you on any of these things? Uh, that's a great question. Um, uh, it's taken me probably about this long to uh, gain a certain amount of credibility and respect. So that doesn't happen overnight. Um, the, uh, the the gun people are um, <clears throat> they're very they're very uh, polite, and we have a really very very good relationship uh, but they're not they're not interested in the, the, the information at large uh, I'll tell you who is though is uh, my neighbors <laughs> and uh, uh, and my uh, my local post office uh, the two ladies that work in there are all over this now really? and uh, they're actually they're actually working off a uh, a list of uh, four books that I've given them, and I just talked to them yesterday, and they go, "Well, I ordered the book, but the print's too small," <laughs> you know? and we start to laugh. Oh, and, I understand uh, that one. There's nothing worse. Yeah. So I mean, this is this, but uh, I, I do this. Uh, it, it's taken me years to gain their yes. uh, uh, it's, years. It's a to, process. Uh, uh, and not hammering them. Yeah, and, yeah and, it is. You, and you have to be, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's what I keep yeah. hammering to the audience. It's not an event. It's a process. It doesn't matter what stage yeah. that you're at. It's still a process. Right. Yeah, and that's that's, uh, that's a huge point that you just made, Roger. It's, uh, it, it's so huge, I, I can't even begin to overemphasize. You can't be overemphasized is that uh, this process is why our adversary is, can afford to be and has been so amoral and very patient 
they're deliberate, they're consistent, they're patient. And because uh, they understand something uh, that uh, the normies uh, don't get. Uh, normies respond or react to events. And they, they, they process information, and in their own lives, they go from event to event with uh, incorrect uh, assumptions. Uh, whereas the adversary, um, the tapeworm, you know, uh, leads the process so, so incredibly slow that it generationally um, isn't apparent or transparent to the next. You're right. And uh, of course that, of course that's uh, that's a great uh, strategy. And and so if you go. If you go back to uh, my favorite, my favorite whipping whipping boys, if you will, uh, the Rhodes Trust, um, and uh, look at the uh, documented timelines and evidence, you you really start to see the coalescence of the strategies of Cecil Rose and his his trust administrators generationally and the NGOs and the organizations, the quasi-supranational political structures that are in place, uh, and then the the political players on a large whole. So if you look at, uh, you look at Israel, well, who are they in bed with? Well, they're they're in bed with uh, the UN, even though they, 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 they're, they're, oh, we have all these, uh, you know, we have all these little things, uh, these UN resolutions against Israel, but there's no consequences, right? So it's like, oh, poor Israel, they're being picked on all the while, they're, they're pulling the strings. Or, or are they? Who's pulling the strings? Is Israel pulling its own strings, or are they part of this? Let me, well, let me, I, I, let me I would offer. Go address ahead. what you just said, because this is an important point. I heard somebody bring it out on a conversation the other night. Israel is the only country in history that was given statehood by the UN. So the UN's their daddy, okay? But yet the UN comes out with 80 or 90 of these resolutions against them and they don't follow any of them. So they don't even, they don't even respond to their daddy. Yeah, right. Well, I, well, that's that's because That's because you know that this gives them, it gives the presidency. While you're while while Israel's over here kicking and screaming and yelling anti-Semitism, uh, whatever the heck that means, um, uh, you know people are looking means at that. Anti, uh, yeah. Anti-Semitism, Daryl, means anti-white. Well, you you know what you remember. This is the great the line. Shamites. This is the it, it great. Ain't, it ain't it ain't the Jewish people. So. The great line. <laughs> the great line from Joseph Sobran. Okay, anti-Semitism is not someone who hates Jews. Anti-Semitism is someone who Jews hate. That's right. Well, I, I'm making the small and it might appear to be pedantic point, but it needs to be. Clarified, Jews are not Semites. Never were, never, not now, never, ever will be. We are, though. This is what's well, weird about this, the whole thing. This, uh-huh. Yet again, yeah. so it's a really prime example of the inversion of language. The, the to dial- things well, the, here, there, and everywhere to keep, to keep you off balance. The dialectical nature yeah. of their entire plot. 
Yeah, it's very effective. Yeah. Well, the uh, the synonym the, the synonym of dialectical is 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 simply logic. And so, uh, if I can if I can get you off balance from using uh, logic or get you trained in your axiomatic thinking, axioms of thinking. Uh, to logical fallacies, then uh, I can I can control the outcome through uh, nuance and pretense. And uh, of course, every every accomplished liar learns this early. Uh, whether you're trying to get a sugar cookie or dad <laughs> accused you of dad's car, okay. And uh, so, but. But while while all this hysteria is going on about oh the uh, the poor the poor um, Semites uh, tongue in cheek here, uh, what else is going on? Okay, and and uh, you know who uh, if if you go back if you go back into the early 1900s you see that uh, Lord Balfour of course we're all familiar with that name. If you go back to Lord Balfour, what what secret organization was he a part of? Uh, well, he was he was a part of a secret organization that has no name and still doesn't. And uh, they uh, uh, this was this was I call them the the Rhodes Trust. And uh, so if. If people, if you know, like I think you said earlier, Paul, you, you have to have this something to the effect, you know, if your perspective isn't based upon the historical nature of things, then you know you're you're going to reach wrong conclusions. I, I kind of butchered that, but you inferred that, and uh, yeah. and and that's a great place to start for a lot of people to really start to get your head around even the bigger picture. Uh, I, I'm actually saying this. I'll make a point blank statement. Uh, Israel is the uh, is uh, the uh, the emotional scapegoat to keep people, uh, and the whole the whole anti-Semitic thing is is to keep you keep you focused on that. Uh, it's a it's a red herring, and and the people and they use that they use that to leverage the, the rest of their their agenda. So if you if you go back to the Royal Institute of International Affairs, set up in the uh, early 1900s, well, actually uh, was that I think that was right after right around World War One. Uh, the uh, uh, they they wanted a uh, they they wanted a similar branch in the United States, but they they figured that uh, you know that wouldn't that wouldn't go real well in the United States. Royal Institute of International Affairs, so they called it the Council for Foreign Relations. Same people. It's, uh, well, well, who are these people? Where do they come out of? They come out of the Rhodes Trust. Uh, where is the Rhodes, Pro- Rhodes Trust? Well, you know, don't take this personal, Paul, but it comes out of Britain. Okay. Ugh. And and um, li- listen, I, I think the I think the English people have. Uh, been on the leading edge of being uh, abused for uh, a long time, yep. and uh, I, I think it. I think it all really does uh, at this point. There's been many players over time, and a lot of people don't really understand what role they're playing in it because it it operates in circles. 
and, and compartmentalized information, hence they don't even have a name. But uh, I think you'll find that the center of it actually uh, and its agenda has been accomplished. And uh, uh, this, uh, are you, I, Paul, have you ever heard of this guy by name of uh, Griffin? Uh, he wrote the, uh, uh, the Creature from Jekyll Island. Yeah, I've got the book just he, sat here by my right ear. Yeah, I read that a few years ago. Yeah. Well, uh, for to, to bring everybody who isn't aware of this aspect of the, I call these people the silhouette, they are the shadow. Um, uh, there's a uh, Geo Griffin on YouTube. Uh, if you go to and watch this uh, YouTube with Geo Griffin, it's called the uh, the Quigley Formula, Quigley, the Quigley Formula, and uh, maybe one of the very best uh, you know presentations and explanations I've ever seen. That is, you know, in my opinion, spot on. And uh, that's just for the listening audience. Yeah. Um, you know that um, G. Edward I'll, I'll, Griffin was commissioned by John Birch to write that book to, to attempt to overshadow Eustace Mullins's book. I, I, I wouldn't know. Yeah. Well, I heard Eustace say that himself. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Well, we can't underestimate the number of intrigues and uh, that have gone on. I think the other thing, the other thing, Daryl, I was going to say is that the number of uh, I'm not unaware of these groups, you know, having read quite a bit on them, but there's always a new one coming out that you never heard about. Um, like there's the Pilgrim Society, and then there's uh, and there's loads of them. There's the Fabian Society, all these things. They're all true. They do all exist. They're all sort of munching away, doing the same old stuff. And and so, I, but this is just me personally. I've just hit a point where I kind of like don't care. It's not that I'm willfully not right. looking. For me personally, I've looked yeah. enough. I go, I've got X yeah. number of days left in my life. And um, am I supposed to spend that time plowing through the cack that these retards have been putting together? I don't want that. Nope. What I'm What I'm personally looking for is to try and find people who are ignited, who are lit up. That's what I'm, I want to bind with those people yep. and say, do you know how you want to live? This is, we know, you know, I've said this before, we know we don't want to live because these guys are just, you know, mucking about with man-made plans over and over again. And I come back to this thing about the law, the commandments and all this other stuff. This is just, a, a, I'm going to call it a theory, but I, I think it's a lot more than that. That stuff is not designed... In other words, life has not been designed so that to get on in it, you have to be a rocket scientist or plot the overthrow of humanity or form a secret society. You don't need to do any of those things to lead a really clean-minded, spiritually rewarding life. The problem we've got, of course, is that those little clusters of uh, demons have managed to acquire a little bit too much power for our liking. And, of course, we're kind of behind in terms of understanding most people are pretty much behind in terms of understanding how that's all come about although it becomes pretty clear rather quickly but what i think we can say is how do we want to live it's the lack of commitment by our people to living the good life 
and being clear about what it is that's the problem. If you say, as I do, well, you know, if I was to pay, it's not utopia. I'm not, I'm not going for that because I, I expect and believe that just like you need mustard in a sandwich to go, you've got to have a spicy bit every now and again. It might not be to everybody's liking, but you, you're going to have to have it because it exists and it's going to turn up. But um, if, if you were to ask me, well, what's your kind of ideal scenario? I would be saying, well, I'd be living in a nation that was all my own people. That's the first thing. And uh, there might be other people there from different races and cultures, but they wouldn't have any power in my nation. They wouldn't have any voting rights. They wouldn't have any they wouldn't have any positions in banking or government or education or the law or media ownership. If they were here, they'd only be here on a very controlled, regulated basis and we'd be done very civil, but they wouldn't be here forever. And they wouldn't have their religious institutions or buildings here either. Don't get that. Just like I wouldn't want mine elsewhere. That's the first thing. And then it would be made up of families. The bulk of the population would be involved in a family, either as a parent or as a child. And only people in families with children would get the vote. And really only the man. I'm quite serious about this. Only the man gets the vote. There are many things about the old way that actually work. They work to our nature. You were talking about biology. They just work right. Now, these reason. ideas are not even... There was a reason There's a reason worked. for it. There's absolutely a reason. It's like over thousands of years, it just worked. Why did it work? Well, because a man, a male to turn into a man needs that type of responsibility. And a female to turn into a woman needs that type of responsibility. And guess what? When you get it going on, a huge bulk of people become very happy. They become very strong. They also become calm. They think about things in a simpler way, and they don't waste their time having to study psychological politics and metaphysical understanding because all that stuff is kind of like, to me, the more I've looked at it, and I've looked at a lot of it, it's like the detritus of the mind. It's just human minds seeking to do it, whereas, in fact, there's actually some laws that exist here and now and when we step, this is my, you know, it's a goal that I've got at the moment. I'm stress testing this in my own life. When we move back into those laws, I believe we acquire like a parasite repellent naturally. We don't even know we've got it. They just don't want to be around us. No one does. They go, oh, we don't want to be around people like that. Good. Yeah, we don't want you around either. I've because you do different stuff. I've experienced that. That's what I think is going to happen. I've experienced that personally. Yeah. Yeah. I I do. I think that's, you know, I've I've mentioned it before. I've I've had discussions in the pub. I'll be having some tomorrow night. In fact, I'm looking forward to tomorrow night because there's a guy last week started to recite a poem and he got stuck halfway through. I said, you're not doing this to me next week. Next week, I want the whole poem all the way through. I said, no pressure. You've got to get it right. So I'm really <clears throat> to it's, it's yeah. not a particularly profound well, point. It's I, very silly. <laughs> Paul, I, I, I'm in, uh, I'm in uh, pretty much uh, agreement with what you just said. Uh, the uh, for those of us that have gone down these rabbit holes, um, if we can take that and and you know like a like a good roux on the stove or a broth, reduce it down to its essence. And direct people that are literally 20 or 30 years behind where you and I have gone, and, and others. If we can, if we can give them the reduced, the, the, the concentrated version of a source to say, here, 
so they can they can watch an hour and a half video or read four books, and if their heart is in the right place, they'll get it. They don't have to spend the next ten years that's of right. their life reading fine print, and that's why to, that's why I bring it up. Yeah. yeah. No, I think yeah. you're right, because I think, like, there was an example of something really insane this week. I mean, there's an example of something insane every couple of hours around here. <laughs> uh, what was the insane thing last week? All oh, right. So the Conservative Party, who don't conserve anything. I mean, these are just labels in name only now. The whole thing's meaningless, right? So um, these um, twaddlesome fools that are in charge of things, they have decided that five-year-olds in Britain at school, will be taught about transgenderism and uh, sodomy. They've decided, and that'll be compulsory. And if you try and get out of it, that will be deemed to be illegal. Okay. So, right, now, when you hear something and see something like that, and it's reported in detail, it was actually in Russia today. I have to go to, we have to, go to Russia That's today. the only place you get the real news. Well, it is, but then they're controlled as well. You have to find out where their money comes from. So, you know, I just go, uh, shut up, everybody. You know, you're all just having a go. But let's look at that for what it is. I, I was on some email lists. Everybody's getting outraged. And I said, why? What are you getting outraged for? I said, are they in charge of your life? This is, it's an internal decision that's got to be made. And we've got to stand with people that are saying, okay, you want to do that. My kids are not going. My grandkids are not going. You even come near me. I'll kill you. Right? Or something to that effect. Now, me saying it alone is useless. This is, this is why I think it's very much a numbers game. So when now we do get back to this thing about speaking to people and actually igniting them, getting them to stand back in their trousers again and go, are you present, right? Are you actually are you behind your eyes? Because that's the main problem that we've got with a lot of people, that they're not. But I would say, well, this is a great opportunity with this. What we need is we need to build now our online video schooling system. So let's build it. Why do we – in other words, everything that's coming at us, I think just about everything, is an opportunity to spin it round 180 degrees, put it in a positive frame and say, we'll do it this way. And it's not because I'm permanently positive. Honest, believe you me, I'm not. I have my dark days of the tea time of the soul, just like everybody else does. But it seems to me that that is a path that would work. We take responsibility for the situation, even if we didn't do it. We say, okay, you're up to that. We're not going to be doing that. Thanks very much. Uh, we'll come back to see you in 20 years. You let us know how it gets on. Okay, but when are we doing this, right? Because this works for us. And we have to get that confidence about our communication. When I see a lot of people writing, they're not writing with any real personal force. They're writing from a point of view of, oh, we're victims. The government's done it to us again. <laughs> if you say so. Well, they're, volu space, yeah, they're volunteering. They're volunteering into victimhood. Yeah. You, and when you do it by personal sort of, I, I, I'm stood on this ground. I talk like don't like it go away that's you, that's what i was saying <laughs> earlier you know the only people that you can change is you we've got to do this by people changing themselves okay and then we, like daryl like daryl's example then you start living it because you're now changed and you manifest that manifest that in how you live your day-to-day -day life and other people notice it's Really, that, that is it. And, of course, I would say that the ground rule for that or the guide that will that does and is proven to guide us the best. And I had this conversation in the pub a few months ago. I only, I only go to the pub once a week and speak to other people once a week. No, that's not true. I actually I do try to speak to people more than that. But uh, some of the guy, we're talking about the law. 
And I got around to talking about the Ten Commandments. And he said, oh, it's a lot of rubbish, that. I said, no, you missed the point. I said, um, I said there's only ten of them, right? Obviously, there's the name. I said, there's ten. I said, they take about three minutes to read, probably even less to understand. I said, because it's nailed into you, that stuff. You understand it, whether you can even repeat them to me or not. I said, your son, I said, you can read them to him and he'll know. And that covers 98% of everything you're ever going to need. Think about that. I said, on, what are you saying, that we've got to embrace all this other stuff? I saw a phrase come across my desk the other day. You know these Noahide laws? Yes. I go, that's that's for, not a law. It's the Noahide whims, I call them. The whims of the bearded ones, the ones that can't shave. <laughs> and, you know, well, they can't. You know, you've got some guy in a large hat who doesn't even know where one end of a razor from another, and he starts talking about Noahide laws. He's got nothing to do with Noah. These people are sort of deranged. You go, that's a very good comedy act. You see, we have to burst their bubble. They need to know. They need to know, but you can't right. do it alone because then they pick you off. No. So we do need right. numbers. I just keep saying, this is a marketing exercise. We should view it as a business. It's marketing. And when I used to do marketing stuff, you have all these sort of little acronyms to make sure that when you go and brief with a client, there's nothing rocket science about this. I'm sure it's evolved way beyond my primitive levels back in the 80s. But I used to have who, why, what, where, and when. Yeah. It, you know, who are you talking to? What is it you want to sell them? Why should they buy it? Where are these people? And when do we get started? <laughs> when do you want them to buy it? Just stuff like that. Now, we need a marketing brief. Who is it we want to speak to? Other white people. I do. Why? Because they're going to die if I don't speak to them. <laughs> and I don't, and why, why is that important to you? Because I actually like them being around because without them, I'm nothing. And without me, they're nothing, although it's not about me. But you know what I mean? That relationship between one and the, and the crew. Uh, what is it that binds us together? Well, it's going to be our blood. We're going to get into some really serious stuff. And the top of the tree is race. It's just it's unavoidable, whether anybody likes it or not. It's the most potent four-letter word in the Anglo-Saxon lexicon of them all, without a doubt, because everybody shuffles and starts looking down at the floor every time I bring it up. So I know that it's the one to keep going at. People are just absolutely, you know, and I was the same 10 years ago. We can't talk about that in polite company. I do point out that there isn't any polite company left. It's all gone. Like <laughs> me, turn up, you know, and start shouting and hitting the table and going, don't you understand what's going on? You know, but uh, it's to get it across. It's, uh, it's lively stuff. And sometimes, you know, the other thing, the other principle was that energy does transform. And you only have to look. At Mr. Hitler letting go behind those microphones to see what happens. When it's done right, when it's organized, the effect is unbelievable. It's like a thousand atom bombs going off. And that's available to us, and it's always been available to us, irrespective of technology. It's available to us. But it's gonna take it's gonna take some clear thinking and plugging right back in and speaking to the right people in the right hall on the right night at the right time about the right things. And it'll just cut like a knife through butter. And people go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. They go, right. of course, it's obvious. And that's what you're looking for. Of course, it's obvious. Here we go. Now we're on our way. Um, well, that, that, ability, that ability to do that is not something that you'll, you'll read in a book or uh, watch a YouTube for or come out of a committee. Uh, no. that's, how, that's how our adversary organizes their operations is by committee. And, and through compartmentalization uh, with talking points. <clears throat> and uh, so you, you, you're talking about a, a, an informed number of people 
that can spontaneously and extemporaneously uh, get on point with the right message uh, to any given audience. Uh, and uh, so that's a that's a human that's a that's a man thing that's a man and woman thing that's that's being able to relate know your information but also being able to genuinely uh, transparently relate uh, truths to these people so for example a couple of weeks ago I'm over in Georgia um, I'm uh, having a, uh, a business conversation with a guy over there that owns a, a trike company they, they do trike conversions. They turn motorcycles into trikes. Right. And uh, I'm over there. I'm in his office with his office manager and his wife and uh, their daughter. One, con- one thing leads to another. We're into a conversation. It's two and a half hours later when the conversation is done. Uh, they're, uh, you know, uh, strong believers in the word. And... Uh, and uh, we've done business together for a number of years. And uh, so through the part of that conversation, I was I was very calm and uh, very compassionate. And uh, I was able to very slowly, very logically demonstrate to them that they don't live... Uh, under uh, law, that they are actually living under the just civil, and they uh, don't have any uh, contact or or access to what they would consider the Constitution. And uh, I showed them how their their municipal counties and local governments uh, were using Roman law and that uh, they were, uh, in effect, citizens of Rome. And uh, this took two and a half hours and uh, involved using uh, a lot of scripture out of the Bible. And uh, when I left, um, the office manager says, well, she says, I have one question for you, Daryl. I go, what's that? She goes, how do we get you over here every Friday afternoon for uh, for a couple hours? And and so now they're they're basically on a reading program, and because they didn't really, they could sense the shadow, they could see the silhouette, but they didn't know the face of what they were actually living under, and nobody but able been able to ever explain to them that the law they're living on living under is a is a foreign law, is alien to their their values, and and their principles and uh, and the word. And um, so uh, it literally, you know, I had the conversation with them about what the Bible, uh, at one of its many things, but at its root level, it's a law book. And whose law are you going to live under? And uh, And for it to be law, it seems to me for it to be law, Daryl, I was going to say, for it to be law, it's got to be... Um, apprehendable and comprehensible by the vast majority of people, irrespective of IQ. Right. It's got to be. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's just ha- otherwise it can't be law. Well, that- you see, because what we're looking for is not is not so much that the law's forcing us, but that we know that we're stood with our kith and kin who've got it. And you go, 
I am pretty safe amongst my own, which is how we all want to be, because I understand that they understand the ground rules. When we are with others, it's not even, I don't even look for them to understand my ground rules. I don't think they should. I don't think they should be obliged to. I'm not interested in working them into my space. Neither should they be interested in me working, in them working me into theirs. It's a complete nonsense. This, so the whole context for sort of globalism is basically about sticking two fingers up at nature. That's all it's about. It's saying, hey, we're some clever blokes who had a privileged life and we have plenty of money. And I'll tell you what, I've got a great idea. Why don't we run the world and all this? Of course, it's not really all English guys, but there are Freemasons from England who've obviously made a hellish contribution to this insanity. I understand that. Um, I don't see them as the primary cause, but it doesn't really matter. You put your back to that grindstone, you're just as guilty as everybody else. And uh, they shouldn't be doing it, but that's you know, that's for them to you know they're going to have to give an account for themselves. I'm sure higher up the food chain as things as things evolve. But for us, simplicity is the key. Why is it? It seems to me you know we we understand the fundamentals of farming. I'm not a farmer, but I understand that if we don't get farming right, you can kiss all this goodbye. So you know, and all the decision making once we're back in the law. He's a doddle. You go, why is the food bad? Oh, you're sticking these agrochemicals, right? Well, well, that's that's banned. Get rid of that, right? Why is everybody broke? Oh, because we've got a central bank, right? Get rid- Shut that down. Everybody can own that. And people go, no, no. What about our business interests? We go, oh, sorry, they're not included. We don't do that. <laughs> you're in the wrong place. You need to go somewhere else where they do all that stupid stuff. We're not doing that. We don't well, do that. And these conversations don't exist. I mean, we're having, we're touching on it a bit here, but this sort of conversation, this framework of anchoring people into who they are not what they're not all this progress nonsense. oh we're progressing i don't want to progress i'm not interested i want to be what i am that's much more exciting why don't we get back to that i don't want to progress i want to conserve yeah of course we don't have a conservative i mean i came across the thing with the conservative party here in the uk and up to the point of benjamin disraeli becoming the leader in the 1800s who's pivotal by the way of course in the run-up to all the cluster of demons you've been addressing as well daryl but um prior to the arrival of disraeli at the helm of the conservative party for a hundred and nearly 200 years the conservative party had fought against the bank of england it was the party against the bank of england when disraeli came in you know his chums were that old changed it never went back and they've been useless ever since so the fact is that other people are have we have allowed them to communicate in our halls, to stand in our meeting places, to bend the ears of our forefathers, and unfortunately they listened. And this is just there's nothing they've got nothing to contribute to us Hi. at all, Hi. nothing, nothing at all. So Mate. I think it begins a really basic. We send them to Coventry. Go, that's lovely. You're very clever. I understand all that. It's got nothing to do with us. You need to go away and go where you can do that. Bye bye. We don't do that here. It's about real estate, location, and being with the ones that you're going to get on with. I'm so I'm trying to look. This is clumsy. I, I admit that, but I think it's a matter of boiling it down to really simple stuff. If this cannot transmit across the wide range of our own people, it has no chance. None. Nope. Except in individual circumstances, like really is the way that our message has been applied. Look, look at what is done for Daryl, uh, 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 Robert that called in, Chris that's sitting there, all the other people yep. that are listening that have been touched by this. 
okay? And if it, if it, think about this. What if we didn't have this platform and this program? Where would you be with all this information? Well, I wouldn't have as much. Well, yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't have been the trained, you know, you know uh, to whittle the brain yeah. down. It's like sharpening our wits, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry, Darrell. I was just going to say, it's like sharpening right. our wits. And I think no. half of the challenge yeah. is this communications process is that I'm not saying we don't have intelligent people study the minutiae of the disease. We absolutely do need that. That's exactly what we need. But the area that I, I am drawn to, this doesn't mean that I'm right or anything, but the area I'm drawn to is how do we take that? How do we take that rich seam of intense intelligence and, and put it in a way that everybody can get? And effectively, we need to become almost like an advertising agency. I'm quite serious. If you look at advertising, it takes, it ta it's, it's developed into a synthesis of mood, imagery, short, pithy sentences, posters, they, and repetition is the key as well, repetition which obviously requires a lot of money. Yep. Requires a lot of money, but we don't need as much money to do the repetition as we did. This technology allows us to repeat things at zero cost if we're able to build up a group. And that's what we have to do. We have almost like have to you know, self-promote ourselves back to ourselves and keep advertising the idea. Very simple, fast things, you know, because everybody around the microphone here and most of the listeners have got the time and the capacity to sit with and police their own thoughts and march through the line of understanding. This is fantastic. We're always going to have people that do this. But a lot of people don't have the luxury of that. So what could we do for them? Could we, you know, stick an advert on the back of a crisp packet and they, or a cornflakes packet and they go, oh, fantastic. I, I mean, that would be ideal. I'm not assuming that we could do that. But, uh, that you know, it's that area. Cheeky, cheery advertising to knock people out of a loop and go, oh, I never thought of that before. Well, I can say one thing. You know, what we've been battling at one point is the situation that everybody else is in collectively. And as a group, are they ready to hear this yet? And I, I got to think that, and it's kind of tailored my whole approach here lately, Paul, is I, I, instead of trying to go out and reach them, I'm not saying we shouldn't, Okay, but as for the big net to get cast, I don't think our time is there yet. I don't know why, but my concentration has been on me and how I can make this message the simplest and most palatable that I can make it for when that time and they're ready to hear it comes. You know, there's an old saying in teaching, I know you've heard it, it says, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Yeah. And then the rest yeah. of that statement was, when the student is really ready, the teacher will disappear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's when you're taking it well, on to the next thing, you know. That's when you're taking it on to the next thing. So, I, I, listen, I've been trying to go out and beat people over the head with this for seven years, or well, a lot longer than that, but in this format with something of substance for seven years. And I'm astounded at how, and I don't know, maybe it's just my perception, because I don't know where it's happening, with who, what they're doing with it, how they're applying it, like Daryl's meeting on Friday with those people that he just related to us. I don't know those things are happening. So you're removed from that, okay? But I would have thought when I started this that it would have been a quick uptake, that we would have seen some real substantial reaction and we would have had some effect. And none of those things happened. 
Mm-hmm. Well, Roger, Roger. Yeah. Uh, uh, with all due respect, when I say this, you had a unreasonable expectation. Yes, of I other did. People. Yes, I did. I totally admit and, it. And and that's that's where we have to uh, we have to meet people one one at a time and start with where they're at and engage in that conversation without the purpose of winning it. Yep. Winning a debate. You can't it can't because uh, if that's in your heart is to win the debate you can have a debate. You can even have an argument. But at the end of the day, what will have, will you have achieved what you wanted to accomplish when that, that conversation started? And and my objective is to uh, is to help people reconcile the contradictions and the questions that they've had in their own mind. So what you end up doing is giving to people without forcing it down them and making them feel small in the process of doing that. Yep. And, and so like Paul says, uh, everybody doesn't have the luxury or the capacity or the resources or whatever their personal circumstances are. So what, what is it that people, men, men and women are focused on? Uh, well, you know, their biological needs. <laughs> it comes back to biology yeah. again. And and the biological needs are I need to feed myself, I need to put a roof over my head, and if there's anything extra, I'm going to, you know, uh, buy, my, buy my goodies. And so they want that stability and security of, and the predictability of that, that, that presumption of that there is continuity. Of course, we know there isn't in this situation. And, but they, 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 have been indoctrinated into learned helplessness and participating in their own abuse. So they become psychologically and financially extorted. Even if they have a conscience, they, they yield, they acquiesce to the extortion, uh, that's been applied to them. And, uh, and then, you know, after a while, they, they don't even realize that they just, uh, they become, uh, autotomic. Uh, they just, <clears throat> they just they just go that direction because they they anything else so things like we're talking about uh, principles ideas and then actions are destabilizing for them makes them feel insecure uncomfortable it makes them feel insecure so if if you're trying to relay a message to somebody and it and at some point in that conversation. What you're describing means that they're going to have to change. That is going to, not always, but in some, in a lot of times, that's going to provoke an insecurity response in them. Sure. And and you've seen it, Paul. They'll attack you, or or have you know, uh, because you're you're destabilizing them, their security or their perceptions of that. So. Well, you're taking uh, you're, you're taking something found, away. You're taking something away yeah, when you yeah. communicate in this way. You you have to be what you said something earlier. You've got to be sensitive about how they're responding. That's the key thing. I come across people who know a lot of stuff, but they're like bulls in a china shop when it starts to communicate and stuff. You go, "Will you back off? Can't you see this guy stopped listening to you 30 seconds ago?" I mean, it's that it's that lack of understanding and it, you think, "Well, it's going to take forever." It's not actually. If we learn to deal with each individual and just 
nudge a little. Um, I mean, and I don't know what else I'm supposed right. to use my well, time let for. Me... But it's absolutely true. You must be sensitive to the other person. You know, and if they're really, really right. completely hard, stony ground, you must cut your losses and run. You've got to go. You've right. got to move on. You have to do that. Right. You've got to do it. I've been well, involved in marketing right. my entire life. Okay, My whole career has been one way, shape, or form of marketing something. And one of the things, or a couple of the really important things I learned, I try and apply. And that is this very simple saying, it's easier to pull a rope than it is to push a rope. You can't make people do anything. All you can do is try and assist them in making that decision. Okay, back to the voluntary nature of everything that we're dealing with, all the way back to Vattel's Law of Nations. They've got to voluntarily make that change. You can't go in and make them make that change. And you don't do it by forcing things on people. You do it by asking questions and, and putting a dialectic in their mind, causing them to question and making them want to move forward to find answers. That's where you. That's where you make uh, make progress. Here. Yeah. You know, here the very well, let's, simple let's, thing. Yeah. Daryl, are you a citizen of the United States? Are you a citizen of the United States of America? No. And you just shut up. <laughs> well, uh, you didn't mean now, Daryl. He didn't mean now. We're doing always, a radio show. <laughs> questions, questions are questions are always better than answers. Uh, and from my point of view. So if we go back to what you were saying uh, earlier uh, about uh, marketing, a marketing, a marketing campaign. So, well, in the process of marketing or selling yourself, of course, we all have to do this uh, at some level, successfully or not. Uh, people get a, uh, a, uh, a perspective on you. Uh, and and so it's very critical for the marketer, the seller, whatever you're selling, uh, that 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 seller, in this case, uh, information, uh, the the individual, the man or woman that's doing that, has to hear how they're being heard in real time. You, uh, I'm being critical. I'm being critical of the people, uh, not. I'm not criticizing, I'm just critiquing. You have to, in real time, in the process of a conversation, whether it's over the phone like we're doing right now and in the, the Internet, or standing in front of somebody, you have to, you have to adapt and adjust and, and evaluate in real time, in, in milliseconds, how your message is being heard. In order to be effective, you know the the and, one and, there, and there, we, used we, to, we lose that. We used yeah. to hear in in meetings years ago, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Much you care, and and I agree with that. I think there's some. I'd say there's that, something else to that as yeah. well, Daryl. Uh, there's some just jumping in there. There's there's another aspect to that I think, which is you are. Um, one is instinctively understood and even intelligently misunderstood by members of your own race in a way that can never, ever take place with people outside of it, ever. It's simply not possible. Everybody's doing a theatre act of pretending to understand and accommodate and take on board, but it's complete junk. 
The whole everybody's involved in an yeah. act of self-deception. Everybody's acquiescing to everybody else because we don't want to be rude. Well, I don't want to be rude either, and we don't want to be seen to be hostile and foul and and all those other things that come. Oh no, don't call me that. You know all that kind of stuff. But the fact is, it's like there's a sort of an epidemic of nobody calling out that the emperor's wearing no clothes. Everybody's doing it, and and the minute you walk in and say it's actually about this, it's like don't point that out. But we don't need sophisticated communication between us once the ground rules are clear. Once the context is understood, you can put all the content in and you can sift it and it'll make sense. But when the context is out of whack, which is what it is for most white people, most white people are running around with a context in their head. We're all going to get on. Well, we don't. And we're not ever because nature doesn't want it and why do you keep on resisting this and just because you don't like that idea doesn't mean that it's not going to turn out to be good for the vast majority of people because it will turn out to be good because nature's going to kick your ass if you keep saying we're blokes and we know better no you don't you might be able to get away with it for a few hundred years but i tell you the piper's going to get paid if you don't like it you know just don't if you don't like the heat dog in the kitchen it's that kind of stuff so it's a difficult one because our our minds have been massaged with the high amplification of modern media and communication techniques for, well, the whole of the last century, really. You know, look at it. It's an absolute bombardment. I think with the arrival, it's not just the printing press, although that has been immensely powerful and very liberating, although we know that people immediately began to cr- control that. And uh, and the main, the main media organizations were controlled last year. I mean, sorry, last century, you know, with the radio and the media. But now we've we've had this for 20 years and things are changing massively because of it. And by the way, just on that, I'm going slightly off at a tangent, but I want to mention something today. Um, I'm on Gab. This is a technical thing, but it kind of impinges into the communication space. It's quite an interesting little development, I thought. So anyway, I got an email this morning from Gab. They're on Gab.com and they are an equivalent to a free speech equivalent to Twitter. And uh, during the course of last year, they got deplatformed because certain people didn't like the amount of free speech that was going on. There's far too much of that free speech stuff going on there. We don't want any of that. So they got deplatformed for a couple of weeks, but they've managed to recover very well. And they've just come out with um, a service called Dissenter. And what it does is it literally bypasses every comment sensor system on the Internet. It's a very interesting little idea. How cool. i got to say, when I, I thought it was – it's so cheeky. Yeah, it's cheeky. All you have to do, right, you, you, the service is free, and basically any page on the web, you can start to run comments on it because you just pick up the URL, and it opens a thread. And so all these sites like the liberal and left-wing-leaning uh, sites that will literally ban comments of a certain type, well, they can't do it. And I looked at this, and I thought – I love this. See, this is so uh, it's so creative. Whenever they try to squish us in, we're like yes. water. We just see back there. You know, because yes. I mean, that's nature at play. It's not even us. It's just going to come out. You ca- they can't have it their way because it's not. They can't. They just can't have it. It's not going to get it their way. And the, see, the and the only oh. way they know to do is to continue to do things like censor and shut that down. And every time they do, boop, over there another bubble pops up, and now you got a total free alternative. It, it, man, it's just incredible what's happening, and you see it happening all over the place. Robert, you you joined us back in a minute ago. What what are your comments on what we've discussed today? Oh, I think it's a lot of the conversation, and uh, I think it's uh, 
probably very important. Well, it is. It's critically. It's not very important. It's critically important. Okay, and what I try and do is now that there's now that there's some numbers of you, not as many as I would have thought or would like, but we got a few numbers, okay? And I know that people are out there, again, like Daryl in that meeting on that Friday. And Robert, I assume that you and your day-to-day deals occasionally mention it to people. And I know Chris lives it on a continuous basis. Uh, but everybody talking and just taking a an approach that is has a greater probability of success. Rather than alienating people, you want to bring people into your sphere, and you do that by titillating them and by asking questions. And gradually they come. You know, the guy called in here, Paul, I don't know if you were, it wasn't on a Wednesday, but about two weeks ago, guy calls in on this new system. I got to call him back. He's never called in before, Okay. And he goes, hey, yeah, Roger, mm-hmm. I heard you seven years ago. All right, Doug, I'll get you right back. I heard you seven years ago. I bought your book. I read it. And I said, well, I'll just sit back and see how Roger does. Okay? And here seven years later, he's found us, and he's getting ready to file an affidavit. Okay? Wow. Now, that's uh, consistency. <laughs> but, well, it surprised me because... Later. Here's a guy that I've been following you for seven years to see how you were doing, you know, if this is going to yeah. work. And, uh, okay, well, I've let you lead yeah. the uh, blaze the path far enough. I think I'll uh, fall in behind you, you know. And, I took a while, but not quite that while. <laughs> well, and that's okay. Listen, I don't put any pressure on anybody to do this. I never have because should. I understand no. it, okay? And it's not yeah. my place yeah. to do it. It has to be voluntary. For anything to be successful and solid, it has to be voluntary. Doesn't it, Doug? No pun intended. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, Roger. Yes. I could have said yes, sir, Bob, but... Since your name's Roger, I decided to say Roger okay. instead of Bob. Well, that's okay. I answered that. Uh, I guess I'm on the right channel then. How you I doing, the right sure. number. Yeah, you did, man. And I'm, one of I'm our well. good old-time listeners, Doug's been with us for a number of years now, and uh, uh, it's always has something interesting to add. So what, what do you got to throw into the pile here today, Doug? Well... Uh, yeah, the smorgasbord. Uh, well, what a great show. I thank you all for your contributions there. It's been very uh, entertaining and uh, uh, thought-provoking. Um, what I do with people, generally, uh, people that have a, a, a uh, an opinion um, that's different than mine, that uh, concerns such important issues is I try to find a common ground. I try mm-hmm. to build a bridge mm-hmm. rather than burn one down. Right. Okay. Right. And that's never failed because at the base of all beliefs that people have in concepts that they, uh, rely on or stand upon there's common ground there. And so that's what I do. And I've had, I've had people say, Oh, that's it. 
I don't want to, and, and get up and try to leave, you know, and I'll say, wait, 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 you know, and then they come and sit down again and I explain a little further because uh, as a, as a whole, if you look at um, forgetting about race, uh, I think race is important. Uh, common ground, just like families are. There used to be a saying, blood is thicker than water. And, uh, you know, I can kind of agree with that, but it was misused where you have to agree with me. Uh, it was like my family as I was growing up and then uh, grew up, they were all Democrats. So you had to go with the unions. You had to go with the Democrats regardless. And so uh, that's what I try to do is reason with people, try to build a common ground, a bridge where we can discuss things. And um, but um, as the sh I've been listening to this uh, expose here from the beginning and the thing that struck my mind that I realized um, and um, a long time ago, decades ago, as a person that was dealing with uh, the Bible and with people, because I was uh, blessed to be able to go about the country and um, as a sort of minister and talk with people. And um, from a biblical basis, the real problem is sin and people are, um, they go along to get along and, uh, back, you know, when, as an example, when Bill Clinton came into, uh, when he was the governor here, he was the governor when I moved here. And, um, when that happened, I could see at the time that, uh, when he was running for president, that, if he was elected president, the depravity that was in this man was going to corrupt the country and people. And it did. Yes. Because I could, you know, the whole Monica Lewinsky thing went on. And then every, you know, I would, I was selling insurance at the time. And so I'd be going into this nook and cranny and everywhere. And I would hear guys saying, man, I wish I was Bill Clinton. You know why, right? And so it just was like that parasite just eating away uh, what it's doing, what it was doing was it was giving an excuse for the masses or those uh, with that inclination to sin, you know, to do Doug, the same thing. Doug, you know what that whole incident, that Lewinsky incident, I remember my impressions at the time. I've mentioned it a time or two on the air. That that's probably, you remember Vietnam War was the first war that got brought to the dinner table? Remember that? You know, when you'd see the daily You mean in that clips. incident? No, no, no. In the 60s, the Vietnam War was the first oh. war that was brought to the dinner table. Because people sit there and eat dinner and watch television. And they're watching it on the news every day, right? Oh. Well, Monica yeah. Lewinsky was the first time that it brought oral sex to the dinner table. 
Is that when you exactly. speak about it? Roger? Yes, exactly. I mean, you're sitting around eating dinner, and there's the TV, and it's Monica, you know, all the stuff that went on. But it's the first time that that topic was at that precipice of exposure to get it to the point where you're talking and dealing with it at dinner. And, and, and what's that subject is? Do uh, what? Well, their appetite. No, It'll Robert. Put me right off mine. Robert had some kind of quippy little comment. What was it, Robert? <laughs> I said, yeah, and it kind of hits you right in the mouth. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, steady. But but it's you a know, family show. But you know what I'm talking about, and see, that was a big change in the acclimation of the of the culture to this intrusion of overt sexuality. And what mm-hmm. that is, uh, what that was biblically as a um, a, a corrupt, reprobate uh, theme was lewdness. Yes. Okay. And so, uh, anyway, everybody has to deal with, uh, <laughs> everybody has to deal with their own uh, um destiny in a sense okay you shouldn't fear if if you do everything that you that you know that you should do then you should not fear death or judgment okay because you're doing the best you can do the problem with all with the and this has gone on from the beginning uh with uh, governments and dictatorships and and all this stuff is that uh Every man wants to be his own God. And when you want to be your own God, then you reject the very simple, easy to understand laws or rules that the creator has set down. Like, don't lie. I mean, if people, if nobody ever lied about anything, they wouldn't lie to themselves. They wouldn't lie to others. And that would eliminate probably ninety nine percent of even of of sin because you'd realize that there is going to be a judgment, and um, you're um, whether you believe in in a judgment or not, uh, there is that moral sense that I believe is there, and when people reject it and choose to do whatever they want, then um, whether well, then they know they're wrong. They just deny uh, being uh, taking responsibility for it. Well, there we are back at the start of the show with Daryl in this conversation about immorality versus amorality. Yeah, I mean this thing about judgment as well. I'm I have a slightly well something to add or something to think about to chew over. I think that judgment begins to occur the millisecond you begin to start to error. I think it's like a dynamic force. If you are awake, if you are connected in, you will feel that judgment in terms of your conscience will begin to bridle. You'll get it. And we all know it when it's going on. And we knew it when we were young. That's why we really do know right from wrong. We know it. Now, errors are fine. The main problem is, I think you've said here, there's nothing wrong with an error. It just becomes a mistake yeah, if you how don't we learn. learn from it. It's the only way we learn. Yeah. You don't learn from it's things happening. It's got to be two happening. steps forward. You know, correctly. Absolutely right. 
Yeah, you don't. And it's got to be two steps forward and one step back because that gives you the perspective. It gives you a sense of depth of field of uh, whatever it is, your path, as you are traveling down this path. The other thing about, I think there's a distinction as well that I tend to make between uh, ignorance and lack of awareness. And many, one of the things about sort of taking truth to people, if you believe that you've just done that or you're about to do it, or we're in the business of actually providing them with information that prior to that moment they weren't aware of. And one of the reasons why people often bridle when you start to communicate like this, even though they might not be able to tell you why, I suspect is because many many of us are in a state of unawareness of things, a lack of awareness. That's not ignorance. That's You literally don't know that you don't know. Suddenly something might turn up even at these later stages in life, after all, slightly a bit longer in the turn, you go, good grief, I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that that was possible, that that existed. There'll be things like that still coming around the corner. But the thing is, once you've been introduced to something like that, like once you've been introduced to the idea that the banking system is a private club and that it wrecks everything, and you've known, now you have, uh, now you're in a different position. Because if you choose to not pay, to pay any attention to that, now you've put yourself in a condition of ignorance. You've done that. You put yourself ignorance is, a, is an active stance where you know a thing is going on. You sense it, but you choose to look the other way because you don't really want to have a look. Because if you look, you're going to have to well, keep taking more and more responsibility, and then the onus is on you to communicate it, and right. they don't want to do it. That's, and that's right. what we're taking away from people when you speak to them. You're taking away their innocence to say, you know that lovely world that you live in? Yeah, I'm here to wreck it. <laughs> Sorry. Right. I'm do that because I <laughs> right. want the real you. I want you to be you, not this fantasy, not this deluded thing that you think you are. You need to stand here. I'm not, I don't want to stand in the cesspit all alone. Oh, get down here with me. <laughs> You'd be like in that movie yeah. where they fell into Paul. it, Paul. <laughs> Listen, Paul, what you're talking about is, uh, I mean, I, I I couldn't make this up. I was in this meeting I had a couple of weeks ago, uh, yep. about two hours into it. I said, I looked at them all and I said, now, now listen, I got a question for you guys. Do you Do you think I'm, trying to give you guys something or take something away from you and uh the guy that i do business with he just chirped right up and he says well he said it kind of gruff too he says well he goes you're taking something away and i go well what's that and he goes my ignorance <laughs> there you go and there you go and uh <laughs> I had yeah. never thought about it. Well, Paul, Doug was talking about you... sin. Did we... Doug bring the word up sin? Yes. Doug sin did. is this Greek word. It's from archery. I think it means it to means fall to... short of the target. Yeah. To miss the yeah. mark. To miss the mark. To miss the mark, I think, or fall short of, you know, your intention wasn't enough to get it there. That's called a sin. It's in archery. So it means that, you, you know, you missed the point. You didn't get the point. You didn't do it. Ig ignorance is a, it's like a verb. <laughs> it's not... You're, you, you are ignoring things. An ignorant person is a person who's put themselves into a situation of knowing enough to know that they need to know more, but choosing to stop. That's a sin. And really, that's the only sin when you look at it, because if you say, well, there are all these laws, you go, yeah, I know, I know but I don't want to have a look. Now you're ignoring them. 
You're um, ignoring them, and now you're in an ignorant state, you know. So Gary, yeah. Gary, um, gl- I'm glad me. it all worked out lovely for you, Daryl. Anyway, Gary <laughs> shot me a message. Gary <laughs> shot me a message, and and it, you're going to like this because it's a Margaret Thatcher quote, Paul. The greatest okay. form of ignorance. <laughs> the greatest form of ignorance is rejecting something you know nothing about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's right. Okay. That's right. Uh, and I just and when you phrased it and this came up, I had never looked at that word with the first part of it separated. Ignore. They're it be ignoring. Ignore, yeah. Okay. They're ignoring. Yeah. It's not that they're stupid. They're ignoring something they know is there. Ignorance. Absolutely right. So they're ignorant. That's how it needs to be pronounced. It's not ignorant. Right. You're an ignorant. It's like a noun. You are an ignorant because you have put yourself into a condition. You did this of ignoring that thing. You know you did, didn't yep. you? When your house set on fire, you well, ignored the fire, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did. Right. right. But don't tell the insurers that right. because I don't fall, you know. If you go to uh, if you go to the book of Proverbs, uh, there's many there. There's many Proverbs there. And one of the Proverbs that caught my attention one day as I was reading through there, <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to have to paraphrase slightly here. It says... Um, only a fool answers a thing before hearing the question. And uh, we, we get a lot of that. You know, people are programmed to respond with talking points and be reactive. So uh, there's many times uh, you don't even get the opportunity to uh, address a thing before they, they're already answered. They already have a, pre, a preloaded, a preconditioned reactionary response, uh, right. a stereotyped response. And, and so this is why this is so powerful. And uh, I've, I've taken to using this question more and more all the time is uh, in conversations with people. I, I just did this with my, uh, my best friend's wife here the other day. I said, I said, Sue, do you, do you think with this information I'm trying to give something to you or take something away? And I, I said it, you know, actually with uh, a lot of friendship and and concern. I mean, compassion in my voice. It was sincere. I, I was just curious, you know. And but if I walk up to somebody and I'm I, I have a I have a two minute conversation with them and I say, well, based upon our two minute conversation here, I see that you're an ignorant bloke. And I'm going to rectify that. Now, how is that going to work out? Yeah, that's going to work out real well. Okay. <laughs> right. So, I, I mean, I, I mean, but you literally see people doing this, okay? And and then and then and then wondering wondering why wondering why they've had no success, not effect, effect. Yeah. I I don't I don't want to be in charge of anybody's life, but if if I can show you if I can show you how to put your hand on the rudder and steer, okay, a different course, then um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that at that. And you know what? Sometimes you have to be under enough self-control and self-awareness when you're doing this to know when to stop. Yes, okay? very important. You're absolutely right, when to stop. I would say is one of the ways that we used to do it that we that is instinctive within us, that is very, very effective of – nullifying the vast majority of considerations and resistant body language that you get is when you tell people stories. 
Stories bypass yeah. the personal. They do it. And what you're doing is you go straight to the subconscious and people get engrossed in the form of a story and yet the carrier Beautiful. message is put across. And and that's why we right. have these things told around the campfire for millennia and they're just as powerful today as they ever were. That's really we're in around this electronic campfire right now, yeah, okay? Spread across right. a very large fire and there's a little flame running up and down the line, but that's what we're doing. And that and it's still immensely powerful for that reason and we our ability to tell stories i mean even now i've sort of fallen back in love with certain fiction things i've not read fiction for 30 years i've just been too busy swallowing dictionaries and things like this you know uh, and i uh, and that's what we tend to do but every now and again i read passages or i read some poetry it sounds strange I, I sometimes go paul you're reading poetry i'm going yes but it's pretty powerful stuff when you see what's in it what's been addressed there's a yearning, there's an addressing for something higher, and this is what people pick up on, whether they're seven or 70. It, it goes over all the age barriers, that stuff. There's a magical world to be invoked through story, and it's one of our greatest allies that we, we could use more. I could, anyway. It's a little mantra back to myself. Well, I, I mean, listen, look at, look at what, uh, what's so wonderful about these forums like this. Uh, Brent Whittaker gets on here and he talks about history. He tells a story with it. Roger will tell a story with it. You yourself, you tell a story with it. Uh, people that I talk to more and more because I do understand a lot of the minutiae and the details and I'm proficient at it, I can actually string together a very interesting set of data points and make it entertaining uh, and informative at the same time. And and this is why this woman wants me to come back every Friday afternoon and spend my, my afternoons and evenings over there is telling them stories. Why don't you about tell history. her Daryl, did you answer that you can hear me every Friday on the People's Patriot Network? <laughs> <laughs> well you, you, you have to like I said, you have to know where to stop sometimes. <laughs> That's something I've never been blessed with. I never knew when to stop. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, when they, when they, when when they're when they're moving their head up and down and saying yes, that's when you're reading a credit card. That's okay? right. Okay, no, I'm kidding. Uh, right, and and uh, you know, uh, so I mean, you know, we are sometimes our own worst enemies. Uh, realize, and I mean this with all compassion. All right, you have to be empathetic to other people, because these people have been indoctrinated in a learned state of helplessness, helplessness to participate in their own abuse. Yep, this is what we're dealing with. And demise. And They've demise. They've been indoctrinated. Yeah, right. And 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 they do it well. Uh, uh, and so, uh, but it's, it's it's been fun, guys. Thank well, you. You know, in our, I had some real high-level sales training along the way, and about the best was Pitney Blows, really. And one of the things they taught us in there is when you're sitting in front of somebody you're talking to is you continue to ask a lot of small questions where you know the answer is going to be yes. And you ask them all these yes questions to acclimate them to when you're going to ask them the big question. And then they're automatically, they've said yes a whole bunch of times, yes. Okay. There's a lot of. I knew uh, you would. I knew you would. There's a lot of scientific stuff into this. Uh, listen, it's been a good show there today. Is. We didn't really have a lot on the agenda to talk about, and I think the the show that's been produced with a lot of these ideas and this conversation has been real beneficial. And I hope y'all enjoyed it as much as I did. 
been a lot of fun. Yep. Good. Thank you, Roger. Well, next Wednesday, yep. Paul, we'll get you slated in, buddy, and look forward to it. We'll see what happens. Uh, the black swan may be coming along, and it may be coming from somewhere totally unexpected, as black swans do. Watch and see if India and Pakistan don't start World War III over there. They're right on the verge of it today. Okay, so uh, a lot of uh, interesting things going on, Venezuela, India, Pakistan, Trump's in China, who knows, we'll discuss it and see how it evolves tomorrow, is that okay guys? Well, it's going to have to be okay, because there's the whistler, all right, so Paul, thanks a lot, man, enjoyed your input and your ideas, Uh, Daryl, good to hear from you. Uh, Chris left us, but Doug, good to hear from you, and Robert, too. So uh, we'll see you all tomorrow on Thursday, and, of course, Friday, Brent, the aforementioned Brent, will be with us. So you guys have a good day, okay? And I'll uh, see you tomorrow. Paul, ciao-ciao, amigo. Thanks ciao, for, ciao. Thanks for fixing my settings. Anytime. Ciao. Thanks. See you guys.